pray. Father, we're so thankful for the privilege we have to be here this day. Thank you, Lord, for this great music, these wonderful old songs. Thank you, Lord, for the sweet fellowship we've enjoyed so far, the, the singing together we've enjoyed. Lord, it's been good to be in the Lord's house, and we're thankful that, uh, uh, that we could be part of it. I pray now that as we uh, wrap up the service with this, as we look at your word, I pray you would speak to our hearts through this. Help me, Father, to get my mind around another person's message and preach it uh, well. Uh, cleanse me of anything that would hinder my usefulness now. And help me to say the things I ought and nothing more. And say everything I should with boldness. Bless this. And Lord, I pray if there's one person here who needs it, I pray they'd hear it, understand it, receive it. And uh, Lord, be saved this day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For the last few years, on Old Fashioned Sunday, I have chosen to preach another man's sermon. And that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, let me assure you it's not our normal thing either. I usually do actually preach sermons that the Lord gives me. But on this special day, it seems appropriate for us to remember uh, one of the great preachers or one of the great sermons from the past. In the last few years, we've heard from the likes of Charles Haddon Spurgeon and Dwight Lyman Moody and Jonathan Edwards and uh, last year, R.G. Lee. I got beat up last year because R.G. Lee was long-winded. Well... Gypsy Smith is just the opposite. He's, uh, he's a lot shorter, so those of you who are not liking Archie, maybe you'll like Gypsy. And I know who said that amen. I don't even have to look up. Today I want to introduce you to Rodney Smith. Rodney Gypsy Smith, born in 1860, died in 1947. He was born in a tent. And he was raised on a gypsy, a gypsy camp. He never attended school, not one day. Yet he influenced the lives of millions of people for God through his powerful preaching. He was converted in 1876, so he would have been 16 at the time. The very next year, General William Booth of the Salvation Army invited him to join him in evangelistic work with that organization, and he served as an officer with the Salvation Army until 1882. And then he began ministering as an itinerant evangelist, working with a variety of organizations all over the world, primarily Britain and America. Gypsy was a very zealous and successful evangelist whose ministry occasionally experienced revival power. I listed in your bulletin a link to a site online where you can go if you want to read more about Gypsy Smith, very in-depth uh, biography uh, of this man. Now, I don't preach these old sermons on Old Fashioned Sunday uh, just out of nostalgia. It's not for entertainment purposes. I'm not the slightest bit interested in entertaining any of you, and I don't think that's why you came here today. I believe there's value in looking back and being reminded of a couple of things. First of all, I think in every age and every place, it's good for us to remember that there have been those who stood for the Lord Jesus Christ. In our modern day where the powers that be are doing everything they can, just as they have in every other age, to silence the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's good for us to remember. God has always had his men and his women preaching the gospel, and he will until Jesus comes again. And so let us be encouraged as we ponder that truth. And then second, there's another reason that I think this is valuable. I think re-preaching these old sermons reminds us of this other wonderful truth that the gospel itself never changes. Never. Jesus Christ, his word, his gospel, it's the same yesterday, today, and 
forever. I'm reminded of the old preacher who stood up one time in a pastor's conference. If you've never been privileged to attend a pastor's conference, what it means is a whole bunch of pastors get up and they preach to each other. Uh, you just all day long, preach, 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 preach. And so this old guy got up and he preached an old-fashioned gospel message. And when he had finished, he sat down. And then a young guy got up and uh, took the pulpit. And the young guy looked right at the old preacher. And then he said, well, you know, I always like to find something new in the Bible to preach. And so I've sought hard today to find something new. And then afterwards he sat down. After the thing was over, the old preacher walked up to him and he reminded him of one simple truth. He pointed out to him that our job is not to preach something new, but rather to faithfully preach the same message that has been proclaimed since Jesus first gave it to us. There is no verse of Scripture, none, zero, in this book that has not been preached thousands of times in the last 2,000 years. There's nothing new. It's the same old gospel, and it's going to be proclaimed until Jesus comes again. And so it's important for us. I think it reminds us, when we look at these things that were preached 100 years ago, and we find out they could be preached today, it's the same message. It's valuable for us. So with that being said, let's hear from Gypsy Smith. One verse of Scripture this morning. One, Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 9. Let me just read it to you. You don't even have to turn there. As Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. This is Matthew's modest way of telling the generations how he was converted. Matthew could have made a lot of it. He could have made a great deal more of that epic-making moment in his life. But instead, after he had written that brief account... That brief, modest account, only one verse describing his conversion. He said nothing more about the matter. But can you not see between the lines what a story is there untold? He doesn't tell you that he lived in a big house. He doesn't tell you that he made a big feast. He doesn't tell you that he invited all his old friends to come and meet with Jesus at that feast. He leaves the other gospel writers to tell you that, and they did. They tell you that little bit of the story. He simply says there was a feast. So very modest is Matthew. He says that Jesus saw a man and said to that man, followed me, and that man followed. That's all. Some of us at certain moments of our lives can't trust ourselves to tell all the story, can we? We keep something back. We can't trust ourselves to put the story into words. There are pages in every life. That will never be written. There are stories untold to mortal ear over which the angels rejoice. There are moments when only the sky and the sun and the moon and the stars and the birds and the flowers and the heaven eternal can hear all we have to say of his wonderful grace and mercy. We can only tell a little bit of it. Just a little bit of it. I want you to think of this wonderful moment, and it was a wonderful moment. A moment when the gospel was born, a moment in which history began to breathe. A moment when in his soul there was placed the germ joy that will make heaven pulsate with hallelujahs. It was a wonderful moment in his life when he saw Jesus standing there calling him by name, speaking to him as a man would speak to a friend, appealing to him. Why would Jesus go to this man? Why would Jesus go to Matthew? Well, one reason would be because this man, Matthew, needed Jesus. I believe deep down in this man's heart, he was longing for Christ. 
I'm not so sure he hadn't heard John the Baptist preach. I'm not so sure that he was not already a convicted sinner. I'm not so sure that he had not heard John say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I can imagine that there were moments in his life when he longed to get a look at that dear face, to hear the music of that voice, to catch some inspiration from his life-giving message, to feel that touch that healed. And I can imagine that even that day he couldn't see his books for his tears. Because he was at his business, you remember. He sat at the place of it. Everything was in front of him. And maybe while he was thinking of those inward longings and while the soul hunger was gnawing, while the man within the man was talking to him and setting in motion thoughts and feelings that were eternal, I can imagine him saying, oh, shall I ever see him? Maybe he laid his head on his hands in his grief. And at that moment, Jesus said, Matthew, Matthew. Follow me. Now, you know Matthew was ready to do it because he did it instantly, without asking a question, without any hesitation. He acted as though he had made his plans as to what he would do if he had the chance. He left all. He left all. Now, now he doesn't tell you that. He leaves the others to add that bit to the story. And his was the possibility, by the way, of becoming very rich. He left it all. He left his books. He left his business. He left his office, his position, his friends. He left all to follow Jesus. Matthew had counted the cost, and he knew what he would do if his chance came. And Jesus knew it, too. He knew where Matthew sat, just as he knew where Nathaniel prayed under the fig tree. And he knows where you are. Matthew at the place of toll, or Nathaniel under the fig tree, or Zacchaeus in the tree. He knows. He sees. There is no look heavenward. There is no desire heavenward. There is no aspiration after goodness. There is not an honest struggle for a nobler life in your heart, in your home, anywhere or everywhere, but what God sees. And God knows. He knows. And he knows where you sit, my brother, my sister. Matthew was a man handicapped. He was a jewel in an unlikely place, a man that nobody wanted, ostracized by his very profession, separated from decent folk by his calling, unpopular and hated. There he was. He'd never had a chance. The church didn't want him. When Jesus Christ took the trouble to save him, the church of his his day still did not want him. And I am afraid there are some churches, even today, that would not appreciate having Jesus fill them with the likes of Matthew. Fill them with the, the harlots or the publicans or the gamblers or the drunkards and the sinners. And yet, they are the sort that heaven opens its doors for. Oh, we ought not forget that. They are the people for whom Christ died, not the righteous, but sinners. And there are people who would sit in committee and dictate to the Son of God as to who he is to save. They did it in Matthew's day. There are people who would sit in judgment on Christ of God. They would question the authority of omnipotence to save the sinner. This man eateth with sinners. Shows really how much they knew of this man and his mission to the world. But what does this story mean? What does it mean? It means this. It means that for every man, for every woman, there is a chance. There is a chance. The Christ I have to preach gives a chance to the worst, 
to the most unlikely, to the most degraded, to the most hated, to the most sinful, to the most despised, to the people who were born into the world with the devil in their blood and the blood of the gambler in their veins and the blood of the harlot in their veins. And when I think of it all, and I look at some people, the wonder to me is they're not worse than they are. God have pity on the little boys and girls in the world who are made drunk before they are a year old. God have pity on the child life of today. For such Jesus came. And he chooses to find out about these people, the people that nobody wants. And he says, I want you. I'm after you. It's a new way of treating sinners. Do you ever think of it? A new way of treating sinners or wrongdoers. Prison for wrongdoers, the law courts for wrongdoers, the whole fabric of society is built up to keep off wrongdoers, to keep away wrongdoers, to keep out wrongdoers, to shut up and shut off wrongdoers. And Jesus comes and opens his arms to them and says, come to me. I will receive you. That's the Christ for me. Set the prisoner free to break the chains of them that are bound, to open the prison doors and say, march out and I'll make you free by my mighty power. It means a chance for every man. It means a chance for every woman. And Jesus sees far more in these people that are far from him than we have seen yet. If you and I had the eyes of Christ, we should see in the filthiest wretch that walks the street something worth saving. If you and I only had the vision of Calvary, we should never weary. We should never tire. We should never lose heart. We should never lose hope. We should believe that for the worst, there is a throne and a song and an anthem. Thank God, help us to believe our own gospel. Why did Jesus go to Matthew? Because Matthew needed Jesus. Why did Jesus go to Matthew? Well, another reason is because Jesus knew that Matthew needed him. Nobody could do for Matthew what Jesus could. Don't forget that. Matthew had never had a chance. Nobody but Jesus could give him one. He was in a bad setting. His whole life was a tangle. His whole life was knots. Nobody wanted him. You know people like that. There are some connected with you that you would rather not see. Tremble when you see them and when their name is mentioned. There are some names you don't talk about to others. You try to forget. You won't talk about them. There's a skeleton in every cupboard. Most of us here have somebody connected with us that we don't like to mention. We try to forget. And yet, God knows the agony of it eats the life out of us because they are the people who need him. It's no good to say to some people, believe believe. They need somebody's fingers to unravel the knots, to untie and straighten things out. And who is to do it? Those whose whole life has been cursed from their very birth, they are handicapped in their very blood. Who is to deliver them? Can anybody do it? Is there no God who can do it? Oh, listen, the fingers that weaved the rainbow into a scarf and wrapped it around the shoulders of the dying storm. The fingers that painted the lily bell and threw out the planets. The fingers that were dipped in the mighty sea of eternity and shook out on this old planet, making the ocean to drop and the rivers to stream. Those same fingers can take hold on these tangled lives and can make them whole again. For he came to make the crooked straight and the rough places plain. Blessed be God. Jesus can do for Matthew what nobody else. And he can do for you, my brother, my sister, what your friends cannot do. He can take the desire for drink out of you. 
He can cure the love of gambling that is eating the soul out of you. He can put out the fires of lust that are burning in your being and consuming you by inches. He can take the devil of lying out of you. He can take the devil of cheating out of you, out of, of fraud out of you, of hypocrisy out of you. He can do that. Jesus can do what nobody else can do. Preacher can't do it. Church can't do it. But the Lord Jesus who loves you is mighty to save. Well, let me go one more step. There was another reason why Jesus went to Matthew, and that was because there was something Matthew could do for Jesus that nobody else could. And I say that reverently. You see, Jesus needed Matthew. I and he needs you. They looked at Matthew and said, he is a sinner. Yes, said Jesus. And he will write my first gospel. Only give him a chance. You don't know what there is hidden in the drunkard. There may be a preacher. There may be an evangelist. There may be a gospel. You don't know. Give him a chance. Give him all a chance. A sinner. They were fond of using those words. He is a sinner. They used them with the man in the tree. And yes, said Jesus, he is a sinner. And he's a son of Abraham. Jesus has a wonderful way of showing what he can do with unlikely material. A little child cries, and its little voice in coming days may startle the nation. The waving of its little hand may marshal the hosts of God. Who can tell? That little boy, by your side, he may become a Spurgeon or a McLaren or a Whitefield or a Wesley. Who can tell the possibilities of a child? That little girl may be a Miss Fletcher or a Florence Nightingale or a Catherine Booth. Who can tell? And God wants them all. There are gospels hidden away, untold yet, but they will shine out and flash in letters and golden capitals and make the world glad with a great gladness. You saw the sinner. Jesus saw the man. He saw the sinner too, but he knew what the sinner would be when grace had had a chance. The world sees the face and the clothes and the house, the streets you live in, where you work. Reckons you up by how much your salary is. Jesus does not reckon that way. See that sailor, a drunken, filthy, vile of lip, impure in soul, drunken sailor? Nobody wanted him. Nobody cared for him. God looked at him and saved him. His name is John Newton. John Newton, the poet, author of Amazing Grace, the preacher God could see the theologian, the preacher in that drunken sailor. See that man, a swearing tinker? So swearing, he said of himself that when he began to swear, his neighbors shuddered. Nobody wanted him. But God looked at him and saved him. And his name was John Bunyan. John Bunyan, the immortal dreamer, you would not have looked for the pilgrim's progress in that swearing tinker. God looked at that man, a publican. And you, know, you, you Americans know what a publican is, right? A publican is one who runs a pub. Here was one who was helping his brother to sell beer in Gloucester. God looked at him and saved him. And his name was George Whitefield, who became the mighty preacher. Look at that man selling boots and shoes in a shoe store in Chicago. God looked at him and saved him. When he took the trouble to save him, and that young fellow offered himself to a congregational church there in Chicago, they saw so little in him that they put him back on trial for 12 months. And his name was Dwight Lyman Moody. And Moody has put one hand on America and another hand on Britain, and they moved towards the cross. 
And look at this picture. A gypsy tent. There is a father. Five little motherless children without a Bible, without school. Nobody wanted them. Who does want a gypsy? Nobody. Outsider, ostracized, despised, rejected. But God looked at that poor father and those five motherless little things and saw them in their ignorance and heathenism, hungry for God. And he looked again and he said, there are six preachers in that tent. And he put those arms that were nailed to the tree around the father and the children and saved them all, and I am one of them. You see, it takes love to see. Love saw more in Matthew than anybody. And he sees more in you, my brother, than anybody else. And if no one wants you, he does. If no one loves you, he does. If no one cares, he cares. And if you think there's not a friend in the world, you have more friends than you think. And they are closer to you than you dream. God is here and he says, come to me and follow me and I will save you. I will give you a chance for this world and the next. Only follow me. Matthew never did a wiser or nobler thing than when he took Christ home. Everybody then had a chance of blessing that day. Think of what it would mean for your home if you, my brother, took Christ home with you. Your wife, your children would have a chance they have never had before. If, if both of you, husband and wife, bow at his dear feet together, what joy there will be in heaven and on earth. It would mean your home for Jesus. You will give Christ a chance with every child in your home by taking him there. Matthew took Jesus home with him. And he will go home with you if you will ask him. And he will go home with you this day. God help you. I can believe that there are many who mean to follow Jesus. Who will leave all to follow him? Who will sacrifice everything for Jesus' sake? Who will take their stand for Jesus? Who will go home and say to their friends, I have come to tell you what great things the Lord hath done for me. You see, Jesus calls you. He calls you, will you follow? Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful for this old message. We're thankful for Gypsy Smith and the ministry that he had. I pray, Lord, that as it's a hundred years old, it still bears fruit this day. Lord, I pray if there are any here today who have not yet followed Jesus, that they would do so right now. I pray that as we prepare to sing our final song, as we prepare to wrap up our service and go about the the festivities of the remainder of the day. I pray, Lord, that we don't do that until we have done business with you. Lord, is there even one here today who has not yet followed you? One here today who has never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior? One here today who cannot answer the question, if I were to die today, I don't know whether I'd go to heaven or not. Lord, I pray that people would just do business with you right now. And I pray if there's even one who needs to pray and say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that you died for me. And I know that you're calling me to follow you. And I I want to do that this day. I pray they do it.